Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, once again talking with you about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I promise you I won't turn the podcast into another podcast of sermons. But today, I do want to include in the podcast uh, my recent message called Christian Celebrities and Childish Followers. It's a pressing issue today. How do we relate to Christians who are very prominent and have a lot of influence, and how do we do that in a healthy way? This was a message I spoke at Gateway's Chapel. I hope you enjoy it. I've asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning, where in just a moment I'll be reading a passage of Scripture that is the foundation for today's message. As you'll see coming up on the screen, the text and the title of what I'd like to speak to you about this morning. The phrase Christian celebrity is an oxymoron. Those two words should never appear together in the same sentence. Yet, too many of us emulate this worldly pattern of venerating Christian leaders, producing sectarianism, tribalism, denominational strife, and church conflicts. Our culture has codified this behavior with the important social media question, who do you follow? We import this worldly behavior into the Christian community to our detriment. Now, like most contemporary problems, this is really an old problem that only seems new because of the advent and pervasiveness of technological advances. Paul addressed these issues in a pertinent passage which reveals they have been around a long time. Join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 for the text for the morning. Paul writes, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready, because you're still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another says, well, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. This passage begins by declaring to us that some Christians behave in childish ways. Now Paul addressed the Corinthians and underscored that these were Christians to whom he was writing. He says in verse 1, they were Christians. 
He addresses them as brothers and sisters and spiritual people or people of the Spirit. And he describes them as babies in Christ, and that's an important word choice. The word baby here does not mean infant. It's a pejorative word that means childish ones. So a more literal translation, or a more meaningful translation would be, you're my brothers and sisters, and you really are spiritual people, people of the Spirit, but you're acting like childish babies right now. Their behavior was reminiscent of their pre-conversion lifestyle. Again, back into the text. Paul says in verse 1, you're behaving like people of the flesh, meaning even though you're Christian, you're acting like you aren't. And then he goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, you're acting like you're still worldly and you're behaving like mere humans. And his meaning there is you're behaving like people who are human only, not born again people who are spiritual people in Jesus Christ. The, Christ, the Corinthians were Christians behaving in a way that was reminiscent of their pre-conversion lifestyle and their, and their behavior had stunted their growth. In verse 2, Paul said, I can only give you milk to drink, not solid food, because clearly you are not ready for it. A prolonged adolescence had settled in to these Corinthian believers. Now, this first part of the message just underscores that childish behavior signifies immaturity among believers. As I said, it's a prolonged adolescence. It's like a young man playing video games in his parents' basement. It's like a young woman whiling away her days window shopping at the mall. It's people who ought to have grown up enough to have gotten a job and watched their money more carefully. But prolonged adolescence had settled into the Corinthian church. Now, what was the evidence of this adolescence? Second big idea. Immature Christians relate to leaders in unhealthy ways. Now, in the text... Their immature behavior was twofold, and it's spoken very clearly. First of all, their immature behavior was envy leading to strife. Look at verse 3. Paul said, For since there is envy and strife among you. And then their immature behavior was secondarily veneration leading to factionalism. You see that in verse 4, where Paul writes, Someone says, I belong to Paul, and another says, I belong to Apollos. And the clear implication is that this siding up with these prominent leaders was factionalizing the church. Now, this is not all that surprising in its culture because Apollos, as the book of Acts tells us, a Jew from Alexandria was eloquent, well-educated, an apparently powerful speaker. And this falls in line with the New Testament pattern of uh, New Testament cultural pattern, I should say, of, of celebrating rhetoricians and good public speakers and elevating them in the culture, giving them prominence. The church was copying this same practice. Now, what does this mean for us today? Well, it means several things. First, immature Christians 
envy leaders and try to tear them down. That's envy and strife brought into our cultural context. This is not a new problem just because of technology. When I was a young ministry leader, a church in our community bought a lot of buses and started driving through the community, picking up men, women, and a lot of children and transporting them to their church on Sundays. And because of this aggressive ministry, a number of people that came on those buses came to faith in Jesus Christ and became part of this church, and the church grew quite rapidly for a period of years. One day, I heard another pastor say, well, I don't know how legitimate that is. They're just bus people. Demeaning the results of this church because he envied the conversion rate and the growth they were experiencing. I was so proud of my pastor who was in, in the presence of this conversation who said, well, we may not have adopted his methodology, but let's don't be too critical of people coming to faith in Christ, however it's happening. Listen, we do the same thing today when we delight in pointing out the flaws in other people's ministry and tearing them down because they're having greater results than we are, somehow thinking that by that envy and the strife we produce, we lower them and elevate ourselves, when in all reality what we're doing is diminishing ourselves in the context of people that God is blessing and using in different ways than us. So immature Christians envy leaders and try to tear them down. But secondarily, immature Christians venerate leaders and create factions. Now I want to describe for you three ways I see this happening today and plead with you to stop it. Number one, Christian, Christians venerate leaders and create factions by triangulating to try to find security. It goes like this. Well, I'm not fully Calvin, but I'm not fully Arminian. Well, I'm not really John Piper, but I'm also not really Andy Stanley. I, I, I'm not really Rick Warren, but I'm also not really John MacArthur. I'm, I'm somewhere in there. Do you hear what I'm doing? You're triangulating. You're positioning people against one another so you can find yourself somewhere in the middle so you can find some security in who you are as a ministry leader. Triangulation is a means of veneration that says, I'll polarize people to make myself look good and to feel better about myself. Second, you venerate leaders and create factions by categorizing people to establish your identity. It's that question, who do you follow? And I get asked this question constantly. As most of you know, I, I am privileged to travel and speak in conferences and churches, and so I have a lot of different audiences and a lot of different people coming up to me and asking me questions. And one of the most common is, who do you follow? Who do you follow on Twitter? Who do you follow on social media? Whose podcast do you listen to? I almost always weasel my way out of answering that question because I refuse to be defined by someone else's categorization of me based on who they think I follow. 
Secondarily, a set of questions is attempts to hyphenate me. For example, people will say, well, what kind, uh, well, describe yourself theologically. And I say, well, I'm a Baptist. They say, what kind of Baptist? And I say, a Baptist Baptist. <laughs> because I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to categorize me by establishing either a prominent Baptist from history or a prominent Baptist alive today to get me to identify with one of them so they can categorize me and find out if they're in my category. And as one person said, so I'll know whether I should come to your school or not because I fit his precise category of what he was expecting based on who I admitted to following. Veneration, creating factions by categorizing to establish your identity. And then finally, Christians venerate leaders and create factions by posturing to promote status. I recently received a, a, a message which consisted of a photograph of a Christian leader with this caption. It was a selfie. Photograph, caption, with so-and-so, a very prominent Christian leader in his private office. And as I looked at that on my screen, I thought, why do I need to know that? What is the purpose of that kind of communication? It's posturing to promote status. It's that person saying to me, look who I'm with. I'm a big deal too. It's veneration to create strife by posturizing to promote your status. Listen, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos looks this way today. It's triangulating to find your security, categorizing to establish your identity, and posturizing to promote your status. And if you're doing these things, the Word of God says you are childish. Grow up. Now, some of you are thinking, as I did in preparation, what about the example passages? The same person who wrote this warning, Paul, also, on several occasions, I'll give you just two, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 and Philippians 3.17, said, follow my example or join in following my example. And so now we have a bit of a spiritual whiplash. The same man who said, beware of veneration leading to strife, also said, follow my example. Well, I've given some reflection to this. And what I'd like to offer are simply two reflections or observations about the difference between venerating leaders that leads to strife and following the example of leaders that is to our benefit. Two observations. Number one, to follow a leader's example means that you observe the totality of a leader's life, not the facade presented in social media. Too much focus on the positive aspects of a leader's life leads to veneration. Grasping the totality of a leader's life, or at least attempting to understand more of that totality, will help you to follow their example without venerating their strengths. 
What I mean by this is, another related observation, is that you must learn from both a leader's successes and their shortcomings. That's what it means to follow someone's example. That's why I enjoy reading Christian biography. Because I'm able to see the totality of a person's life, their great strengths to be sure, but also catastrophic mistakes, bad decisions, revelations of inadequacies in their character. And I can also learn from those aspects of who they are. That's what it means to follow someone's example. For as you consider me, for example, I'm a leader. I'm certainly... Uh, somewhat of a prominent leader, at least at Gateway Seminary. And I hope you're learning from my example. And what I mean by that is this. I hope you learn from some of my strengths. But I also hope you watch me closely enough and listen to me clearly enough and read about my life often enough, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way, often enough in a way, I don't mean read it often, but often enough that you remember this, that there are also weaknesses about my life that are a part of my leadership example. How I've grappled with those, how I've overcome some of them, how I'm still struggling with some of them. That's a part of following and learning from my example. For example, I mean this. I hope if you follow my example, you will learn better how to communicate the Word of God to everyday people. I think that's one of my strengths. But I also know that if you follow my example, you will see that my early perfectionism and judgmentalism in ministry and the pain I inflicted on people because of that has now made me too slow to confront and often having too much of pain avoidance as a ministry strategy than doing what I really need to do sometimes. I hope as you watch my example on the positive side, you'd learn something of what it means to lead boldly in big moments. But I also hope you'll learn that my capacity to envision the future and to know more about where I think we'll be in 10 years than, when, than where we'll be in 10 weeks means that I lack a focus on details, and that causes problems in organizational leadership day by day with what I do. Working on that has been a lifelong challenge. I hope you learn that from me. Another strength I hope you observe and learn is that I have an ability to multitask and get a lot of work done. Up there in my corner, it's a production facility. We like to make things happen. Sometimes I'll write something on my to-do list if I've already done it that morning just so I get to check it off. <laughs> I am very task-oriented and I get a lot of things done. But because of that, as a companion piece, I'm also insensitive to the needs of people around me. I'm often oblivious to what's going on around me because I am focused on getting things done. That is not a strength. And I've spent a lot of my adult life or a lot of my adult life trying to figure out how to be more aware of what's going on in the lives of people around me. Now God help me with that. <laughs> he gave me my sweet wife who is always in tune with everything that's going around her in the moment. I watch her and marvel at that. I think, I want to be like that just a little bit. And about one day out of a hundred, I am. It's a wonderful day. I'm in tune. Are you seeing what I mean this morning? 
When you follow the example of another leader, it means that you observe the totality of that leader's life, not just the facade they present on social media, and that you understand who they are well enough and you observe them closely enough that you understand that they have strengths and they have weaknesses, and you can follow the example of learning from both. And any person who's only presenting to you their success face is presenting to you a fraudulent view of who they really are, and I caution you about following them wholeheartedly. Well, finally, maturing Christians relate to leaders in healthy ways. What does this mean? Well, back to the text. First of all, it means that we have a healthier perspective on leadership roles. I like the threefold summary of what leaders do described in verse 5. Leaders are servants, it says in verse 5. And then they are servants secondarily through whom you believed. And I'd change that to say they are leaders who are channels of the gospel. And then they are also leaders who, serve, who are fulfilling their assigned role. Notice the last part of the verse. They are fulfilling the role the Lord has assigned them. And so we have a healthy, maturing Christians have a healthier perspective on prominent leaders. We recognize they are servants, they are channels of the gospel, and they are fulfilling their assigned role. And we don't venerate or elevate them beyond that biblical understanding. And then we recognize, maturing Christians recognize God's priority role in ministry success. Notice what verse 6 and 7 says, God produces growth. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. In venerating Christian leaders, we need to be careful that we don't forget that it is God who is using them to get the work done. And while we appreciate what they accomplish, we give glory to God for what has been done. And then, not only does God produce the growth, but God is always, I'll say it this way, God is always the owner of every ministry activity. Notice the threefold emphasis in Scripture in verse 9. The Bible says, for we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, if I were editing that as a grammarian, I would take out two of those and just say, for we are God's co-workers field and building. That's how you'd normally write that. So why the emphasis? Why that word three times? Because Paul is trying to say to us, look, whether it's a whether, whether it's a laboring relationship, whether it's a field you're working, or whether it's a building, you, a building that you, where you reside, God owns it all. He's always the owner. He's always the one who produces the growth. He's always the one who gets the glory. And then finally, maturing Christians accept and value their secondary role. Now... Notice that leaders do have a role. Verses 6 and 8 say, we plant and we water. Leaders do have a role. It's a secondary role because God has the primary role in all ministry growth. We've just established that. But we do have a role. We plant and we water. And our secondary role is significant. Notice how it's described again at the end of verse 9. We are God's co-workers. We're paired up with God to get the work done. That's a secondary but an important role. And then we're God's field. And I, I, I think the analogy here is that we're the, 
We're the soil from which God's work springs. In other words, God is producing the growth, but we're right there with an important part. We're the soil of that work. And then he says, we're God's building. Yeah, God gets it done, but, but, but we're the structure that makes you able to see God's work in the world. Without us here doing it, it would just be an invisible thing, an invisible process, but God's building gives it form. We're the building part of that. We're the part that gives it visibility, form. We, we put flesh on God's work in, this, in a human sense, if you know what I'm trying to, to say. So we recognize and accept, maturing Christians accept and value their secondary role. We do plant, we do water, we're co-workers, we're a field, we're a building. But you know what? We're an important secondary role. We value that secondary role, but we don't forget that it's the secondary role. And when we do that, Paul says in verse 8, each will receive his own reward. And we don't have to worry about all this posturing because God is going to reward us. And it'll be a reward worth receiving. Well, this morning, I've tried to speak as clearly as I can about this problem that we have of Christian celebrities being pursued by immature followers. Let's don't be childish about this. Let's recognize that the Bible warns us about envy and strife and veneration leading to factionalism. But it motivates us to follow the example of leaders in appropriate ways. And it reminds us that this is always God's success that we're observing, that we have a role to play. And we can relax and be rewarded by God and not how we position ourselves in relation to these people we so desperately want to please. Christian celebrities and childish followers. Let's make it instead Christian leaders and mature followers and be all the better for the choice. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the clear warning in your word about creating envy and strife and veneration that leads to factionalism. We recognize that when we do these things, we're acting like little children. And that is not how we want to act. So, Father, grow us up a little bit. Make us into maturing believers who understand how to properly appraise leaders and follow their example in healthy ways. Thank you for hearing my prayer about this, for giving us such instruction from your word, and for speaking to us in ways that will shape us today. We receive it from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening today to the podcast. Put this message into practice as you lead on.